Lord, we just come to you tonight and ask you to guide and lead us as we look at your word. Show us what you would want us to see. And we ask you to be with us. And we thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're continuing in 1 Kings chapter 3. In 2 Kings, we saw Solomon getting rid of his enemies. He got rid of his brother because his brother proved to be not, not a good guy. <laughs> he gets rid of... Uh, uh, Shimei, he gets rid of a number of people and has them executed. And so now we're going to see, as he's gotten himself established, uh, two, of the, two of the really big stories is in this chapter, in chapter 3, that people know about Solomon's life. So chapter 3, verse 1. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord, and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was a great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. We're going to stop there because this is... That's where this chapter ends. <laughs> um, we start out with Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The word affinity means he became the son-in-law. <laughs> okay? Uh, I don't know why they put affinity rather than son-in-law in there, but anyway, he married, he married Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter. <laughs> All right? Uh, and then he took the daughter and he brought her into Jerusalem. This is a serious move on, on Solomon's part, and it's a bad move on Solomon's part because God says, even in the Old Testament, that they were not to be unequally yoked with the ungodly. So he goes out and he marries a woman from uh, Egypt, and he did it, I'm sure, for political gain. Egypt, Egypt strong, we'll make Egypt our partner, and we'll have, we'll have a safe uh, southwest, uh, southwestern border because we are family with these people. Now, it doesn't say that, but that is, that is usually what happened when you married the king's daughter from some other land. You, you made a nice bond with them. And it had, this appears to be one of, one of uh, Solomon's first wives. All right, First of his many to come. Uh, and he did this, and he brought her into the city until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord, and the walls of Jerusalem around about. So he's going to build his own house. He's going to build a house unto God, the temple, Solomon's temple, which until it was destroyed was one of the world's great wonders from what was been reported in history. It was covered with gold. It shone out. Uh, the walls had gold. The roofs had gold. The, the sides had gold. The floors had gold. Everything was golden on the, on the temple. Uh, he... It was a grand building, and the size of it was huge. And you could see it, gold shining off of, of the Jerusalem temple, shown out all around. You could see it from a long ways away, just as even today you look at, the, I think it's bronze now on the Dome of the Rock, but it shines, and people see the reflection of it a long ways away. And you just picture that shows up as well as it does. If you picture... An entire temple in gold. <laughs> okay. And not the small temple like it was in Jesus' day when they rebuilt it with Herod's temple, but this temple was large. It was the centerpiece. And so Solomon marries Pharaoh's daughter before all these buildings are built. At this point, he's probably living in his dad's, dad's palace, but he's getting ready to build his own. And he builds a beautiful place for himself. He builds a temple. And it says he, he builds the wall of Jerusalem. And the wall around Jerusalem was no small, small task either. Solomon gets known as a builder. He builds all kinds of stuff. And we, when we went through Exodus and uh, Ecclesiastes, we, we had, he had a period where he was just putting, building everything. Okay, I, I'm trying to find out what, who I am, what I'm doing, and I want to find my place without God. And so he started building putting his name on everything, parks and buildings and everything, and temples and all kinds of stuff. And so he marries 
Pharaoh's daughter. And we're going to find out that this daughter is one of the one reasons he falls later on because she's going to tell him, I want a temple for my God. And I'm sure Solomon didn't build it right away, didn't build it right away, but finally got tired of hearing her ask for a temple and finally built a temple to her God and then eventually found himself worshiping in that temple. So this is his first major misstep that we see in this chapter. He's been following God. He's been getting rid of his enemies. He's been doing everything. And he marries the daughter of Pharaoh. And we look at it, and it's not a misstep when he first does it. Like most sins that we commit, they don't seem bad right away many times. Sometimes we know we've committed a sin. Sometimes we don't know that it was bad for that what we did was bad for us until months, years later, decades later, and all of a sudden we go, oh, you know, most people who become drunks or, or, or addicted to drugs, they go for a long time just partying on the weekends, no big deal, I can, I can take it or leave it, and then it gets hold of them. And now they can't take it and leave it. They'll keep telling you they can take it and leave it. Everybody that I've known that was a drunk that, that I got to know always said, well, I can stop anytime I want. And every once in a while they try to prove it for a day or two or a couple hours or two. So Solomon builds his house, he builds the temple, and this is what it says, he gets married, brings her to Jerusalem until all of this stuff is built. And then it says in verse 2, only. All right? This is kind of indicating something's going on. All right? He's, he's building only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. Now the problem is, there may not have been a temple built for God, but there's a tabernacle. And the tabernacle was brought to Jerusalem by David, so there's a place that they're supposed to worship. But they don't want to go where God is, says to go. All right? So they're going wherever they want to worship God. Leviticus 17, 3 and 5 says, You will only worship God at the tabernacle, at the altar. And people were going wherever they wanted, doing their own thing to worship God. And this is a danger for even us, doing things our way rather than doing things God's way. And this is important for us always to surrender to God, put him first. When he says to do something, we do it his way. We don't try to justify it. We don't try to go, well, you know, uh, God, you know, I don't want to travel three days to make my offering, so I'm just going to make it right here on, my, on the hill close to my home. Okay, that was their problem. They didn't want to do what they were told. They were supposed to come to, to the tabernacle five times a year for the big feasts. If they're not coming to the tabernacle for their regular fee, uh, worship, they're not coming to God the five times a year like they're supposed to. Many times. In this case, it's, I don't think it is. It is. Okay. Uh, we do hear high, they, worship, they, they worshiped on the high places. Yeah. Uh, this one doesn't seem to be this one because Solomon's going to go and worship. Okay. Why he's going all the way to the high place in Gibeon instead of to the tabernacle in Jerusalem, we don't know. All right? But again, he's doing it his way. And part of the thinking that most people have is that they went to the high places. They were near God. God's up in heaven. I'm going to get as close to God as I can to offer my sacrifice. Okay? And that's what most people think they were doing. You know, they were truly, in many cases, truly trying to worship God but they weren't doing it his way. That's like the people who say, well, we're all going to go to heaven because God's loving and forgiving. Instead of, I can only go to heaven through Jesus Christ's blood and sacrifice. Well, you know, I'm going to do good works. If I do enough good works, God will, God will be pleased with me. This is what they're doing. God had already told them, worship in the high places. He'd already told them, don't mix, don't mix with foreign wives. He's already told them, you know, how to worship him. And Solomon is already violated in the first two chapters of the, well, three when we get to when Solomon goes, but the first three verses of this chapter, we find Solomon breaking three processes of God. I can tell you one thing he probably hasn't done also is in the, in the law, it was said that when you have a king, the king is to write out a copy of the law in his own hand. I have a feeling Solomon never wrote a copy of the law in his own hand because he's violating things that he knows better than. So we see here 
disobedience to God, and, then, and it's a cycle that's going to go downward from there. He's going, to have a, he's going to have some blessings coming his way, but because he keeps going against God's ways, there's going to be consequences down the road. And this is the thing about it. We can even be in the midst of a revival, doing things good and growing in God and making a series of bad decisions and that it will have a consequence to us because we're not doing things God's way. And this is where repentance comes in. We repent and we turn away from what we're doing. But Solomon is starting down the path. Now, we're going to see a long series where he does things good, but he's also set himself up. Set himself up for the wrong, wrong direction that's going to happen, that he's going to reap the consequences for. And it says, And Solomon loved the Lord. I love that. He loved God. And he walked in the statutes of David his father. Now I note this, of David his father. So his example that he's walking in is not God's word, but what he saw David and how David established things for him. Okay? And this is very important. This is important for us as Christians that we don't get so wrapped up in some teacher that we, we start walking in that teacher's teachings rather than the word of God, because if we do, we can get into a very dangerous place. If that teacher goes wrong, and many times they do, and we're following the teacher, we can end up going down the wrong path because, well, gee, that person's so smart, I've trusted them for so long, they must be right. And we want to be careful. Always focus on God's word, which is why I tell everybody here, I want Bereans in this church. I want people to go to the word of God. And if I say something they don't agree with, go to the scriptures, know what, know what they believe, why they believe, and be able to say, this is what I believe. And know, and know why. Because David was a good example of walking with God. Terrible example of dealing with women. Terrible example of having a temper. And Solomon is walking after the, the statutes of David. Now, David was a good man over most of his life. But he's, gonna, he's not looking after God's way of doing things. And this is kind of critical for us. This is another step, another step in the wrong, wrong direction. He's not following God's law. And then it says only. Again, we have this only. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high, in high places. So he didn't go to the tabernacle where the priest offered. He went to the high places, up to the mountain, up to the mountain to be close to God. All right. Now we're going to see God's grace in this story as well because God is going to meet him at Gibeon, which is where he's gone to worship. Solomon has gone to Gibeon because verse 4 says, And the king went to Gibeon, and Gibeon is about five miles northwest of Jerusalem. So he's gone to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. And it says, A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon the altar. That's a lot of animals. I don't care which animal it was. That's a lot of animals. Okay. Even if it was just a sheep or a goat, that's a lot of animals. And Solomon is wealthy. I don't think he offered just sheep and goats. He probably brought cattle. So that's a lot of sacrifices going on. And a thousand of them is going to take a long time to get it done. And so he goes up and he offers to God. So he has a heart after God. He wants to make sacrifice to God, but he's not obeying God in the details. And this is what becomes important for us we are to look and say, God, this is what you want. Help me to be obedient to do things your way. Because too, it's too easy for us to say, well, you know, God, your way is just a little bit hard. Let me just, I, I really want to worship you, but I'll do it my way. <laughs> I, I, I just want to do it my way, God, and you just have to take what I give you the way I want to. And God does not recognize that kind of a gift. And this is something that's important. I hear it a lot of times. People go, well, can I do this? Can I do that? You know, can we worship God this way? Can we do this? Can we do that? But the question is, are you doing it in the spirit and God's way? Or are you doing it just because you want to do it that way? And I hear it in things like tithing. Well, I don't want to tithe. Well, God never asked us if we wanted to tithe. He just said tithe. 
Okay? Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't ask us, do we want to be obedient to his word? He just says, be obedient. He goes, I don't, I don't ask you, do you want to be changed? He says, be changed. <laughs> he just wants us to do what is right in spite of what we want. I tried to explain to my friend that tithing is the minimum. You give the tithe and you give above that as an offering and, and a sacrifice. And he didn't get it. And mm -hmm. I must have talked to him for a half an hour about it. And he, at the end, he still didn't get it. That anything above the tithe is your sacrifice offering. Yeah. But the tithe is the minimum. Yeah, most people don't understand. And I really truly believe the tithe is what God expects. And he'll bless that. But if you really want the blessing, you go into the offering side of things. Because that's where we become a cheerful giver. That's when we're going above our tithes and our offerings. What, what are we giving above? And that's an important, important step in that involved. And most people, you're right, most people I've talked to don't ever understand it. They have a hard enough trouble just giving the tithe in most cases. So Solomon is doing things his way, and he's being very generous. A thousand animals for his sacrifice. Now, granted, he's pretty wealthy. A thousand animals probably isn't a big deal to him, but it's still a pretty good sacrifice. This is a big offering. Solomon is really trying to follow and obey God. Right? He's just not doing it right. He's just not doing it God's way. He went up to the mountain instead of going to the tabernacle of God. So he's just laying the foundation, a little bit of sin. Little bit of sin. You know, and the sad thing is, so many of us do just a little bit of sin in our life. And we usually kind of brush it off just like that. Well, it's just a little thing. No, no big deal. Until it takes root and then grows into a huge bush and tree and it all of a sudden can't be taken out anymore without God's help. And so Solomon is laying the foundation and we see here the foundation of his fall. And from this point forward, we're going to go into to David's blessing, uh, Sol Solomon's blessings. Now, he's going to be blessed. God is recognizing that he is seeking after him. And you know this is true for us as Christians. Even though when we, when we start out and we're young in Christ, and we're making mistakes, and we're not doing things quite right, God will still give us blessing, and he'll try to teach us that we're doing wrong and ask for repentance and ask for us to change our life. And if we can get that little sin out before it takes root, then there's not as much consequence. There'll still be a, a consequence because it was a sin, but if we let it get root, <laughs> and then we try to get it out you know, the, the greater consequence, the longer it stays there, the longer it isn't dealt with, the more consequence. And this is where we're going to see Solomon. Solomon is laying the, the little sins. In my Bible, it takes me to 1 Chronicles 16.39. Uh -huh. It actually says the tabernacle is at the high places of David. Huh? It actually says the tabernacle, it says, this is when David was alive, and it says, before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place that was at Gideon. Okay. Then he's doing it right. Okay. Probably. The tabernacle was at Gibeon. Okay. So that's a good place. He's where he belongs then. Yeah. I take it back then. I didn't. I didn't read that far, and I didn't. Mine doesn't refer to that one. So. So. But that is good. I will take back what I said about him doing it wrong. He's gone to the right place. He's gone to the tabernacle. I thought the tabernacle was a lot closer because it was just, at, well, five miles outside, you know, but I thought it was closer because that's where God stopped, that's where God stopped the plague that came his way when they offered the sacrifice outside the, outside the city and the tabernacle stayed there until David brought the tabernacle into, see, I'm going to have to look this up because David brought the, ark, the ark into the, into Jerusalem. So I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to research that. Yeah, okay. I'd have to look at the sequence. Chronicles 14, it said? No, 1 uh, Chronicles 16. 16, okay. I'll double check on that. Because uh, I know David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, so I'm going to have to check the timeline on, on 1 Chronicles. Because uh, that may still be before he brought the Ark into, into uh, Jerusalem. And it may be that he brought it in and then took it back out. I don't <laughs> I have to look at the timelines. But I just know David brought the, the ark into, the, into Jerusalem because Michael ended up being barren because she criticized David 
celebration coming into Jerusalem with the ark. Uh, right, when he was out dancing, dancing without his royal robes on, and she thought that was so un, un, unking-like. So I will double check that. I'll double check that chronology and find out what, where, where, where it happened and how it happened. All right. Verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and the Lord said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown unto your servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. And you have kept him a, this great kindness that you have given him a son to sit upon his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, which, is a, which you have chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give therefore your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to ju judge this, your so great a people? All right, so we're going to stop there with the request of Solomon. So Solomon is going out. He's worshiping God in Gibeon, offering sacrifices, and God appears to him. Okay? Now, if, if the Ark of the Tabernacle is still in Gibeon, then he's right where he's supposed to be. I don't think it is because of David bringing the Ark in, but I will double-check that statement. But regardless, God is showing him grace. He's appearing to Solomon directly. Now, this appears to be something different because David always went to the priest to get the word of God. In each of his times, he would go to God by, through the priest. Solomon is getting God talking directly to him in a dream. So this is an interesting thing. And God asks Solomon, what should I give you? Now, wouldn't it be great if God actually came to, to us and said, what, what, what uh, do you want? I will give you what you want. And Solomon, at this point in his life, is a fairly humble man. This is before all of his wisdom. This is before all of his wives. This is before all of his wealth. He right now is humbled. He's newly made king. And his answer comes, you have shown your servant, David, my father, great mercy. Okay, so he recognizes that David had a great mercy on him. Now, he knows all of David's life, running from Saul, running from his enemies, being, you know, how, how much he spent time and he was being chased off by Absalom. He knows all the bad things that have happened to David. But he's going, you showed David mercy. Do you realize how much mercy God shows us even when things seem to be bad? He is still showing mercy. He is still trying to get us to grow no matter what. And Solomon's recognizing it. You were, you were merciful to my father. And, you know, he, he walked before you in truth. You know, this whole idea of truth in firmness, uprightness. All right? He walked in, in truth and in righteousness. And for the most part, it does seem that David walked in, in righteous overall. Okay, he did have the affair with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. The, the, he wanted to kill Nabal. He, you know, he had a few bad spots in his life. But you know, one of the things we have to keep in mind, and I say this so often, we have David ruling for 40 years in Israel. He's running from Saul for about 20 years before that. And we have little vignettes in his life. But how much of that you know, 60 years of his life is really recorded in the Bible? Very little. You know, and we have a lot of bad parts of David's life recorded. But it seems that in between, David pretty much was obedient to God and followed God. And you know, this is something I stress a lot in our scriptures. When we look at the scriptures, we read about Abraham. We learn about Abraham when he's about 57, I think it was, all the way to about 137, and it's covered in about seven chapters of the Bible. You know, and we look at it and say, wow, Abraham had a really exciting life. Look, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. But we don't, get, we don't see the years or decades between each event. 
where he just lived. He just obeyed God. He just did every day-to-day activity. Now, same thing when we read about Paul on his missionary journeys in, in Acts. The book covers you know, almost 30 years of life, and it's 22 chapters of bang, 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 bang. Things are happening all the time. You know, but you read it, and it goes, he entered into Ephesus. This event happened. He stayed there for three years. You know, and that's the entire story we have of a three-year period. One event happened, and he was there for three years. And we kind of forget about the duration where he just did day-to-day activities. And sometimes we will look at our own lives and say, God, you don't work in my life the way you did Daniel or Abraham or, or Joseph or all these people. You know, I, I don't have anything exciting in my life. And, I, and my point that I'll make to people in, well, wait your, wait, your, wait your decade and see what happens. And when God does it, remember that they had decades between big events. Most of our lives as Christians are lived just doing day-to-day, get up in the morning, read my Bible, talk to whoever comes across my path, have my meals, go to work, go to bed, get up the next day and start all over again and do this over and over again, and then God will punctuate it with something big happening. And it's true of churches, it's true of individuals, it's true of movements. Big things happen, and then we go into long periods where just the day-to-day mundane activities happen. And we start looking and going, and so often we'll go, God, what have I done wrong? You're not, you're not doing miraculous things in my life every single day. Well, there was nobody in the Bible that had miraculous things happening to them every single day. It seems like when we read their story and we don't realize that long periods of time go in between these. So we want to be very careful with this and so we look at David and we say, okay, David, you had this happen, this happen, this happen, and you had a couple of bad things happen. But apparently we're seeing that as far as God's point of view, David lived a lot of time where just nothing happened really in his life other than him serving God, offering sacrifices, praying to God, making, making songs, <laughs> you know, just enjoying life. And then something would happen. And we need to keep that in mind in our own lives. You know, when everything's going great and peaceful, praise God, you know, he's preparing us for something. Just live that peaceful life and be ready when the next event comes. Whether it's a good or a bad event will be determined on how much you're really following God in between. We call them episodes. Episodes, events, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Episodes. Yeah, seasons. I'm just waiting for the episode to happen or the event to happen. So... We see David on this, so he's walking in truth, he's walking in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart. And in the Old Testament, especially when you see the word heart, it's talking about the innermost emotions of a person, where the seat of our emotions are, okay? Uh, And this is very important, because what people see in our life is not usually what is in the innermost part of our heart. Now, as Jesus said, out of the innermost part of our heart, we speak and we act, So eventually people will see what's in our heart. So Solomon's saying, you know, God, his innermost heart desired you. He wanted to serve you. He he tried, he was being upright. And we see it, we can see it in each other. And this is one of the things when we judge the fruit of people's lives, you know, and we see somebody who's always bitter and always angry, it makes us wonder, you know, do you really know God? What, you know, you're like this all the time. Is there any real love in your heart? Does God really, what's important to you? And even though somebody may fail often, but we know that they're generally loving to people and kind to people in most cases, you know, you can say, okay, yes, that person is okay. David, you, you did want to kill you. You did kill you, Raya. You did commit adultery. But in general, you wanted to follow God. And this is something that's important for us. And this is our life. Hopefully, if we're in Christ, our life generally will show the love of God out to people. And very important for us to be that innermost being coming out. So he starts talking about, you know, you were kind to David, my father. <laughs> good, good start. When you're talking to God, give, give the credit to somebody else. And then he goes, and you gave him a son to sit on his throne. In other words, you kept your promise to him. And he's still kind of talking now in the third person. You know, it's like, okay, you gave David a son. He still hasn't said it's me. (laughs) 
but verse 7 says, And now, O, my God, o, o Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child, and I know not how to go out or come in. And as I was looking at this, I've always wondered about this, I am a little child. Uh, because I know he's not a little child. He's not even a teenager, probably. I think he's in his 20s or 30s, at least. Okay, because he has taken care of Joab, he's taken care of Shimei, he's taken care of his older brother. You know, he is not a pushover child that doesn't know things. And when I looked into the Hebrew for this, little child can also be insignificant servant. And I think that's a better translation. I am just insignificant, I'm a nobody, and I'm just a servant. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nobody, and you've made me king. And I, you know, I've never, I've always wondered about this little child stuff because he wasn't, wasn't even close to a little child. So I think he's just saying, God, I'm, I'm really a nobody. I'm, I'm one of the younger children of David, and now I'm king. Who am I to be, who am I to be the ruler? Kind of the way David was when he started. I'm a nobody, I'm a shepherd. Kind of like even Saul was when he started. You know, when Saul first started, he didn't want to be king. He was hiding, <laughs> hiding in the baggage car. You know, I don't know that I would really wanted a king that was that undesirous of it, you know, and hiding in terror in the baggage cart. Now, at least David was, I'm insignificant, but here I am. Uh, Solomon is, I'm insignificant, and here I am. You know, I'm in a good, good starting place. And it's where we should be with God. God, I'm a nobody, but here I am to, to do whatever you want done. Because when we start getting proud, we're going to get into trouble. Pride goes before the fall. It went before Saul's pride, uh, fall. It went before David's fall. You know, when he was in Jerusalem and saw Bathsheba, is where he was where he was not supposed to be. He was supposed to be out at battle. It was time to go to battle. And it says in the beginning of the chapter, in the spring when kings go out to war, David was in Jerusalem. Okay, so he was at the wrong place, wrong time, out of pride. I'm so strong, I don't need to be with my army. They can, they can go ahead and start, and then I'll join them later on. Solomon starts out with the right attitude. God, I'm a nobody. I really need your help to be able to do anything. And this is very important for us. What is our attitude before God, and do we stay humble? And do we stay kind? You know, uh, in the book of Acts, I just read my section of scripture today when Paul was getting ready to go to Jerusalem to go to be sent to Rome. He was telling, he gathered all the people from Ephesus said, this is the last time I'm going to meet with you. I'm guilty of no man's blood. I didn't take anything from you. You know, he was just telling them, I was, I was a nobody. I didn't, I didn't take authority. You know, I was just a nobody with you, but I preached God's word. And this is the way we should be. I'm not somebody that says, well, this is who I am. You've got to, you know, whatever our position we think we have or do have or don't have, you know, you've got to give me the honor. You know, and I have met, you know, some pastors that, you know, have their doctorate. They've got to be called doctor. You know, don't dare call me anything but doctor or you must call me pastor. You know, and, you know, Why? If you deserve the title, and this is what I told people when I got here, and a couple here that know that, you know, they go, what do we call you? I go, whatever. You know, I like the term pastor, but if the people don't think I deserve it, then I don't, I don't want them calling me pastor if they don't think I deserve it, but if they think I deserve it, I love the title. You know, if I had a doctorate, I don't know if I'd even want to be called doctor. <laughs> you know, uh, but after having spent ten, you know, eight to ten years to get it, it probably would be, be nice. But you know, what is our motivation? You know, are we looking at things to be proud? I know an individual that's got so many letters after his name that it's like, who are you trying to impress? You know, he's got an alphabet soup, literally, after his name. There's probably, I think, 20 letters after his name from all of his different titles. You know, uh, so when you're going like, okay, who, who or what are you trying to impress? Why? If you deserve the position, you're going to have it. Solomon is already you know, putting himself in his position. He's not needing to have all of this. And he's going to, God, God I'm, I'm just a, a servant. I'm just, a matter of fact, I'm not even worthy to be a servant. And here I am, king. 
And it goes on to say, you know, I don't even know how to go in or go out. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a little shrewder than that. But he is having some humility here. You know, maybe he's even recognizing that God has given him the discernment up to this point. And it's amazing that when you're a leader, sometimes God gives you discernment that's just amazing that you're going through and you go and you see through things that, you know, you normally wouldn't see through. You, you see things happening before they happen. And Solomon is seeing this. Some of it was his dad's advice, you know, living on that. And verse 8 says, And your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Now, the people aren't quite that big, but he's saying, God, we have a lot of people. We have a very large army. And when David counted them in the past, there was something like 300,000 or something like that, you know, uh, 600,000 fighting men. All right. And they had censuses just like every other country does. They had censuses where you went to the temple and you, get, you paid your temple tax and they could find out how many men there were in the, in the nation by counting the money. All right because the people were supposed to come to the temple, <laughs> all right? Uh, or the tabernacle at that particular time. But he's saying, God, I'm in charge of a very large nation. How large? He didn't number them. Why did he not number them? Because God really didn't want his kings to number their people. Because he didn't want them taking pride in who they were and in their own strength. God does not really want us to go through and say, well, you know, God, here's all my skills I have to give to you. God doesn't need our skills. <laughs> he will equip us and strengthen us to do whatever he calls us to do. And what I have discovered in most cases is God really doesn't want to use our skills because it's so easy for us to then turn around and go, God, you know, look what I have done for you. Now, I, I have this great skill set and I was able to do these things. Now, can he use our skill set? Absolutely, he can use our skill set. But he still wants us to stay humble. He wants us to be humble. And this is why sometimes in the churches, I have seen more people do amazing things that have no skill set whatsoever. You would never have picked them to do the job that, they, that God picked them to do. And they do it great because they depend on God. And then I've seen people promoted in churches that have great skill sets and fall flat on their face because they try to put their skill set into the church. And a lot of times you'll see this in churches where they take in for their leader in the business side of the church and put somebody who's a really good businessman who tries to put business processes to a ministry. You've got to be careful with that. And that doesn't mean we go out and unwisely use our, use our finances and, and don't put budgets together and don't do things. But a church is a ministry that depends on God. And we don't want to say, well, we're just going to follow the world's way of doing things to make this happen. We want to be able to sit back and say, God, what do you want done? And then watch how he provides. I've, I've seen it happen in churches so many times where a church will make a nice, easy budget. All right, this is how much money we have. Okay, we're going to make a budget that has a surplus. Usually what ends up happening when they do that, God takes their surplus away from them. Move somebody out, offerings go down. And then the other side is you can go too far the other direction. Say, God, we're going to make such a, we're going to make such a faith budget that we're going, to, we're going to make a budget for five times what we have coming in. Because God, you're going to provide. Well, he might provide if it's his will. But if I'm doing it out of presumption, God's going to say, nope, not going to happen. And I, there's a fine line between being faith, having faith and having presumption. All right? And, we, and it's hard to walk. It's hard to walk that. The just shall walk by faith is so important because God is saying, live by faith. And it is very easy for us because we are beings of sight we want to say, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm going to wait until you show it to me before I, before I step out. And God usually will tell us, step out. And we think about Peter coming out of the boat. You know, he could have stood out there and said, God, I want, to see, I want to see nice solid water before I step out. I'm not stepping out till I see that water solid. Or at least a nice calm storm so I don't get blown over. And God just said, step out. 
Step out in faith. Even though you know you can't walk on water, even though you know you can't do this, step out. And sometimes God is expecting us to just step out and do what does not make sense. Do what, what looks insane. But we need to make sure that he's calling. If Peter had just stepped out of the boat without Jesus saying, come, he would have, he would have been at the bottom, of the bottom of the sea real quick. Okay? But when Jesus said, come, he stepped out like he should have. We need to be able to hear that voice of God and say, when God says step out, we step out. Even when everything about, us, about, about our sight says, no, you can't do this, we step out. And this is where Solomon is right now. He's getting ready to step out. And he says, there's a large people. He says, verse 9, Give therefore your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, your so great a people? So he says, all he, what he said he wanted, I want to be able to understand. I want to be able to hear and obey your words and your heart. It goes, in my heart, in the innermost being, give me understanding of what's right. And what was his purpose of it? Not so he could gain, gain uh, great uh, honor. He said, so that I can judge your people. His intent was perfect. God, I want this wisdom, not so I get to be famous, not so that everybody gets to know that I, Solomon, am very wise, but that I can judge your people correctly. That is his, that's his motivation on this, I, this request. And that I may discern between good and bad. Now, discerning is more than just understanding. To discern means to listen to God and hear. There are times when God has given me a discernment that says, don't do something. Even though I did not understand why I wasn't supposed to do it. I had a person one time, they wanted to speak in front of the church, who wasn't a member of the church, didn't even come. And I didn't know really who they were, or what they wanted to say, and I'm talking to them, and God says, don't let them do it. And then come to find out they wanted to rip people up for, the, the, for their perceived bad attitudes of the church. You know, and God had just said, don't, don't let this person speak. I'm glad I didn't let him speak because I'd have been repairing damage for, for weeks after that if I had. But God allowed discernment. And sometimes discernment comes and we don't know why we're saying no or yes. It's just God saying, do it or don't do it. And that's what Solomon was asking for. God, give me discernment. Not just understanding but discernment to know good and bad, which comes from the Spirit. In other words, he was saying, God, fill me so that, that I will know, your, know right from wrong from your standpoint. And that's really important because good and bad does not always look clear to the human heart. We've all done it. We've all justified doing things and feeling good, feeling like, okay, God, I, I've given you all my reasons why this is a good thing to do. You know, I, can, I put my pro-con list together and I know that this is a very good thing to do. And God says, but that wasn't my plan. You know, and he just tears up, our, tears up all the good and, and you might even have a pro-con list that has one con and, and a thousand good things and God says, no, that's not what I was planned. That's not what I wanted to happen because we, didn't, we forgot one very important thing a lot of times and that is to bring God into our decisions. Put him first. A pro-con list is a great idea. But do we go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? And then we look at our list and say, God, you don't want that one. That, that God, you're on, the wrong side of the, you're on the wrong side of the sheet, God. You know, tithing is one of those things. We look at it and it's like, got to pay my bills, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Honor God. Uh, God, you're kind of on the wrong side of the sheet. It doesn't make sense to do this side, because the only good thing is you told me to do it. Everything else makes no sense. And there are many things in our life where we look at a pro-con list or, you know, and say, God, uh, doesn't make any sense that you would do this. You look at somebody like a Joseph, sold into slavery. All right, God, what? You know, he loves you. He's kind, you know, he's keeping your word. 
He rejects Potiphar's wife's advances, and he ends up in prison for, for a false accusation of rape. God, what is wrong with you? This is not, how can this be your plan? And we put a pro-con list up here and go, well, Joseph, you're pretty foolish following God and obeying God. Look at all these bad things that are happening to you. And the next thing you know, he's promoted to second in charge of the kingdom because the pro-con list <laughs> meant nothing. We need to be able to go to God and say, God, Help me understand your will. Help me understand what you want me to do, how you want me to live. Because sometimes, sometimes he'll agree with the list. Most of the time he doesn't agree with our list. We don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And here we have Solomon saying, God, I want to walk by you, your discernment, your will, your thoughts. And then it says in verse 10, And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because you have, have asked for this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, neither have you asked for riches for yourself, neither have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to your words. Lo, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there shall be was none like you before you, Neither after you shall there arise like you. And I have given you that which you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among kings like unto you all your days. And if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David did walk, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Here we go. The Ark of the Covenant is in Jerusalem. I thought I'd read that at some point. Uh, and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all of his servants. So we're going to go back to what I was saying. The Ark was not up at Gibeon at that time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's human beings. <laughs> And I, was, I was going, I forgot that I had read that he went before the ark. So I'm going, I knew, that, I knew that he was being disobedient before, and I don't remember why. So he gets up, and God says, you know, I like what you answered. Wouldn't it be great? And I'm looking forward. Hopefully there's some things in my event that when I go stand at the beam seat, God says, I like that answer. I like what you did there. But here, Solomon gets to hear, I like what you just asked for. You know, you didn't ask for a long life. You didn't ask for wealth. You didn't ask for the lives of your enemies. And God's saying you had the right attitude. You were humble enough to ask for the right things. I've sometimes read this and going, what would I have asked for if God had done this? And unfortunately, I don't think I would have asked for the right thing in most of my lifetime. I don't think I would have asked for the right thing, especially not when I was younger. Maybe now. <laughs> You know, my heart has changed a lot in, in later days, but I think I would have asked for wealth or something in the, in the early point of my life. Uh, but God says, you've asked for a discerning heart. You didn't ask for all the earthly blessings that you could have asked for. And then he says, because you've done this, I'm going to give you everything. He goes, and he goes, behold, I have done unto you according to your word. So he says, I have made you wise. And he says, and there will be none like you, ever. He, has been, he was the wisest man that ever had lived up to that point, and from what we understand, he was still the wisest. Now, we have all kinds of information available to us now these, these days, but Solomon had it in his heart. And we're going to read later on, people came from all around the world to ask him questions about every topic. He wasn't just wise in one topic. He was as close to an absolute genius on all topics as anybody has ever been because God made him that way. He knew just about everything. He studied, he learned about everything there was to know about. And people came to him to, to test him and see and get answers. And he says, neither shall any after you arise like you. And we've had people that are very smart in, in one or two topics. But nobody has been smart in, you know, totally smart in every single topic out there. And we have places where it tells us it didn't matter whether it was about plants or animals or spiritual things. Solomon was wise. He was like a 
Walking, walking encyclopedia knew uh, a, a, a human computer. Yes. Yeah, he knew the answers, and God showed him answers. And he says, because you have not asked for these things, I will give you riches. And we're going to find out that he had so much silver that silver was worthless. You know, now, we can't imagine that. But he had so much silver that it said silver was value, it had the value of dust. That's a, he had a lot of silver. He goes, hey, just throw this stuff out. We don't need it. Gold. Brought in so much gold that gold was almost worthless. I mean, he, he used it to decorate the temple. He used it to decorate his palace. You know, probably, even though it doesn't say it, I could picture him doing streets of gold out of gold because he says, I've got, I've got gold. You know, I have so much gold, I don't know what to do with. Kind of like God. You know, the streets of heaven are, are paved with gold because God looks at gold and says it's worthless. You know, it has no worth to him. And we look at, so he was made wealthy. Piles of jewels, piles of this. He spent, I heard somebody actually say that the cost of the temple when you, when you brought it out to our current day cost was something like one and a half trillion dollars on the stuff they put into the temple. Okay, he spent money. <laughs> he had money. And he didn't even think twice about it because he had so much. And he says, I will give you honor glory, majesty, uh, building him up, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto you in all your days. So at least in his day, nobody was like him. And that's what we're going to see later on. People came to him. He was wise. He had money. He had everything. He had great honor. The Queen of Sheba is going to come, yeah, and visit, come, come and visit him and give him all kinds of gifts, and he gives her all kinds of gifts in return. And, they, and she was just one of many that came to see him. So he had all of this. And then he put a condition on it in verse 14. And if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments. So notice here, before we read, he was keeping David's instructions. Now God is saying, I'm going to step, up, I'm going to step up the game here, Solomon. <laughs> I want you to keep my commandments, my statutes. As your father David did walk, then I will lengthen your days. So long life for Solomon was based upon his obedience. He got wealth. He got honor. He got wisdom unconditionally. He was going to get long life by staying obedient to God. And he didn't quite do that one. Uh, and then it says in verse 15, And Solomon awoke, and, and behold, it was a dream. Now, obviously, because of the way it says, this was very real to him. You know, this, this, this vision was very real. And he, when he woke up, he's going, oh, it wasn't real. It was a dream. And it said, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant. So he leaves the high places where he's not supposed to worship, comes back to Jerusalem where he's supposed to be worshiping in the first place, and goes before the Ark of the Covenant and now worships God with his peace offerings. Okay, so he comes back and he says, and we see a repentance here. Okay, I'm where I don't belong. We see the mercy and grace of God meeting him where he doesn't belong to get him to come back to where he's supposed to be. How many times does God do that in our lives? Meets us where we don't belong to encourage us to come back to where we're supposed to be. Now, he probably won't show up in a dream like he did to Solomon. He'll send one of his servants, or he'll get us in the word, or he'll do something and kind of just say, uh, let's go back where you belong. You're, you're way off the path. You're supposed to be back over here on this path. What are you doing three miles, off, five miles off the path? You know, he had gone five miles out of the way to worship when all he had to do is go out of the palace, make a couple of turns on the streets, and be where he was supposed to be. And yet he goes five miles outside the city to worship where he's not supposed to worship. Because that's where the people worshipped. This is very important for us as Christians. So often we do things the way the world does things. And it's one of my concerns and what I see going on in churches a lot. They're following the way the church does. They're advertising the way the church does. They're, 
They're performing the way the, the world does. They're, they're trying to make people come because of doing things the way the world does them. Instead of saying, God, how do I stand aside and be yours? And this is something scary. And, and I'm not saying everything that's done is bad. But at the same time, we need to be very careful that we're not doing things just because the world does it that way. And we want to be looking at this very carefully. Solomon followed what everybody did. The majority of people are going out to the high place to worship God. So he goes out and worships God at the high places. Instead of going to the tabernacle, which is right in the city where he lived. Now, like I said, he could have come out of the palace, and I don't know how many turns it was, but I mean, you know, just a couple of turns, he would have been at the tabernacle to worship. But you've got to think about this. From the, from the world's point of view, what was the tabernacle? A whole bunch of wood and skins. You know, a little bit of gold-capped gold uh, tops on it, some silver, silver bases on things, but a bunch of skins. You know, why would I want to go there? Up on that mountaintop, we've got this nice little, this building's up there, and we've got, our, we've got the, al- the altars that have been built. You know, granted, it's not where God said to go worship him, but it sure looks a lot better. It, it looks good. It's where everybody's going. It's the in thing. You know, God, you really want me to go to where the skins are? You know, God, that thing is 100 year, 120 years old. It, look, it looks run down and beat up. You know, that, that building over there is really nice. It's a really nice altar. They've got all kinds of places to be able to give all these offerings. And God, everybody's going there. It's, it's the place to be seen. It's the place to go. God, that's, that's, that's an old thing. It's run down. Yeah, they, by that time, they probably replaced things. But you, know, it's, but you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's the old place. God, you know, only, only the remnant goes there. Only, only those crazy people that really think a lot about you are going there. It's not the hip place. You know, these guys have the laser show and the smoke machine in their, in their worship, and their band is, is professionals. God, this is just a bunch of priests that are caterwauling for you all night long. You know, and we need to be careful about our attitude toward these things. We want to worship God where he is. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a lot of that stuff. If that's where God is at. But at the same time, I look at it and I'm saying, is that where God's at? I watch some of these churches with their professional bands and their light shows and everything. And you look at the people and they're in a show. They're jumping up and down as if they were in a rock concert. And you look at them and none of them are singing. None of them are worshiping God. And I've seen this in several churches that I've gone to, and I look around during the worship time, and it's like, are any of you worshiping God? Are any of you really following God? And I'm not putting, putting down good music. Good music is good. And I'm not saying that bad, you know, bad, you know, put, put up whoever wants to sing is a good thing. But are we worshiping God in what we're going through? And this is the important thing. When we go before God in his house, we go to worship him. And everything is geared toward God. It's not what music do I like or don't like. It's not what, you know, how I want things done or not done, but is it done to worship God? And great music with all the lights and, and smoke and everything, if it's done and people are worshiping, praise God. It's good. And I'm sure there are churches out there where they, they are worshiping God with, with all of that in it but I've seen too many that aren't. You know, Solomon finally comes back to God, goes to the old building where he's supposed to be, goes back and worships God and says, I'm, all right, God, I'm, I was in the wrong place. You've shown me mercy by talking to me even though I was in the wrong place. Now he's got the wisdom and understanding heart and he goes, oops, I better get back to Jerusalem where I'm supposed to be at the tabernacle to worship God at the ark, in front of the ark. So he goes back and goes to do what he's supposed to do. And that's supposed to be our response. If we find ourselves at the wrong place, doing the wrong things, and God steps in and shows us, we repent and we go do things the right way. Very important. You know, and then every time I hear this, I've never heard anybody ever talk about Solomon being in the wrong place in spite of these blessings. But I look at this and I'm going, he was, starting, he was in the wrong place. 
He was starting wrong, and God corrected him, and he came back and did what he's supposed to do once God blessed him with the understanding heart. And he says, oh, you know, and it says, and because he goes, he immediately went to Jerusalem. <laughs> immediately went to Jerusalem and, re- and offered the rest of his sacrifices, his peace offerings, okay, and, and, his, uh, burnt, and offered more burnt offerings. So he offered a thousand burnt offerings up on the wrong place, and he came back to Jerusalem, and he offered more burnt offerings, and it didn't tell us how many this time, and he offered peace offerings. But now he's where he's supposed to be. He's where God's presence was. Not up where he wanted to be, not doing it the man's way, but he's now where he's supposed to be in front of the Ark of the Covenant, in the tabernacle, with God's priest offering the sacrifices like they're supposed to, and God is pleased. God is pleased with where he's at in obedience. And that's how we are supposed to be with God. He touches our life. He says, okay, this is where you're not quite where you're supposed to be. I know you have the, you're desiring to do what's right, but you're not doing right. And that happens in our lives. The more we get to know God, the more he's going to re- reveal to us that we're not doing the right things. And you know what? We're always doing something wrong. <laughs> Even though we have the right heart attitude, even though we're trying to seek him, because our heart is not perfect, we're always going to be doing things slightly wrong. And God's saying, let's bring you where you're supposed to be. Let's bring you where you're supposed to be. I love when I'm worshiping God. You know, I love when I've had some times of worship where all of a sudden I'm just in God's presence. Usually it doesn't last long, but you just know, Wow. And at those times, I'm thinking, is this what heaven's going to be like? I could stay there forever because those couple seconds to a minute are just so blessing, are such a blessing. I'm going, God, I could, I could go to heaven and do this forever. You know, people go, well, I just can't go to heaven and worship. You know, all I'm going to do is worship God. Oh, I'm looking forward. Just my tastes of it make me want to do it. Just the tastes of it that I've had. And then besides that, to be taught, be taught in perfect teaching for all of eternity. Will we all get taught directly by God? I'm not sure. Because when we look at heaven, heaven's very much like earth. There's all kinds of things going on and and businesses and, and activities going on. It's not just standing around the throne of God, worshiping God for eternity. So I believe we're going to be taught. And I believe that God will use the teachers as for those who are leaders true spiritual leaders here, not necessarily even the the ones that are teaching currently. Because God will say, here's your blessing. He says, I'll make you rulers of cities. So there will be people that are ruling cities, teachers, instructing, you know, that get to teach what God teaches them. And then we will learn. I I hope I'm a teacher, but if I'm just a student, I'll be loving every minute of being being a student. You know, But here we are, Solomon, following God the way he's supposed to. His heart was changed, and he goes to where he's supposed to be. Before that, his heart wasn't right. He was trying in his own strength to be obedient to David's rules. But God says, here we go. We're going to put you into my rules, and I'm giving you an understanding heart to follow those rules. And he goes to where he's supposed to be. So our prayer should very much be, God, help me discern right and wrong and be where you want me to be always and I understand you know the church isn't the end all for these things I've had people go well is there do I have to be in church every Sunday I think you should be in every in church every Sunday unless God tells you to be somewhere else and if he tells you to be somewhere else be that other place but don't be gone from church every single week <laughs> all right I, I so much want to be to church. God has to very clearly tell me not to be in church, but I'm going to be in church on Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night usually. All right? Huh? Well, for us, Thursday as well. Uh, I love being with God's people and learning. I, I just love it. And when I go on vacations, I am in church, at least Sunday morning, and sometimes more often if I find a good church to be at during that period of time. So the key to all of this is to listen to God and be obedient to him. Now, there were times even in my family where our family would go off on a weekend for camping. 
But you know what? On Sunday morning, we, either had, we were either in a church or we were doing some kind of church service as a family. And at the campground, you know, doing something. Drawing a crowd with singing and, and having a Bible study with a crowd that was drawn by the singing. You know, all kinds of things that we could do. But the key to this is, are we where God wants us to be? Are we serving God? Are we opening our mouth to speak when God does us open our mouth and speak? Wherever we're at. Very important for us to be able to do what God has asked us to do. And listen. And walk by faith, not by sight. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us, Lord. We ask that you guide and lead us and help us to follow as Solomon did the return to you. He started on the wrong direction by sight and by wisdom and followed you with his discerning heart to come back and worship where he was supposed to. Lord, help us to discern and live with you. In Jesus' name, amen.